I'm Brax McCoy, and we're back this week with my friend Joel Gaines of Arizona. He's a former military man, shooting instructor, and newly minted author, right? What what else would people know? Well, shoot, man. I've been in the Tucson area, well, back in the Tucson area since about 93. Uh, you know, my, wow. my, uh, my father was a Navy guy. I was born here, and then we traveled all over the world, and then I joined the Army and traveled all over the world. Came back here, been back here ever since. Did a little cowboy when I was young, and decided that was not a not a good way to make a living. <laughs> I can confirm. <laughs> uh, tried a little bit of everything since then. You know, if, uh, if it tickles my fancy, I give it a shot. And a couple of years ago, we thought we'd try some writing, so here we are. Right on. That's kind of the cowboy thing, anyway. Dabble in a bunch of stuff. I think it's like part of the part of the culture i guess like probably it probably stems from all of us trying to find other ways to make money <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah there's, there's always there's always something at the end of the rainbow you just got to find the end of the rainbow or the start in my case yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so i actually didn't even know you had finally gotten your book done well i say finally i've been pricking around with another one for that long too yeah. so i should be a little careful with my descriptors here but um I didn't even know. And then somebody tagged on my Twitter said, Joel's got a book out. And I was like, what? <laughs> so the book is called chaos terrain. That's right. Um, I mean, I could, I could read the back if you wanted, but, uh, maybe you tell us actually, what was the, what was kind of, you said you started writing two years ago. What made you even want to get cracking on some, a project like this? Well, the idea for the book came to me in 1996 and I wrote a sentence down. What if, what if we could actually send people on a ship to the Jovian moon Europa? Cause that's where people, that's where we've, you know, scientists have been talking about. That's the most likely spot in our galaxy for, for life outside of earth, you know? So I was like, mm -hmm. well, what if? And I wrote three chapters, and I hated it. It was terrible. I loved the, I loved the ending, but I just didn't like how I was getting there. And so I just dropped it. You know, I had other projects and was climbing corporate ladders and things like that at the time. And, you know, and then about two years ago, I was like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell that story. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just tell it. And... uh so I got, you know, nowadays the, the technology is a little bit different. The things that we can imagine as far as space travel are a lot different. Um, yeah. And uh, the, the way that you go about writing can be very different now, too, you know. Um, so I just sat down and organized, you know, how I would get to the end point, because that's really all that I knew was I had a good ending. And I started working back from that ending, and then I just started writing. And I just uh, set myself some goals. You know, if I can write 100 words a day on average. And some days I wouldn't write any, and some days I'd spend, you know, researching because I'm not a sci-fi guy. This is like not a genre sure. that I read a lot of. <laughs> <laughs> right. And uh, right. it was weird, man, because I, I had to do a ton, a ton of research. And... um so finally got to researching and writing and set some goals and missed a few goals and set some new goals. And then uh, 
got some good editing done. I have a crack editing team and uh, got that done. And um, here we are. Got us got a, got chaos terrain on uh, paperback and in Kindle right now, and hardcover hardcover coming pretty soon. Very cool. Yeah, it's always a good feeling when you get that thing. You know, when you finally get a book in your hand. You know, yeah. um, I think it was Hemingway famously said, "All first drafts are shit," which was totally my experience. Yeah. Um, with writing, you know, you get done with a chapter and go back through it and you're like, wow, this is, this is awful. But somehow it kind of comes together at the end, you know? Yeah. Um, and when you finally, go ahead. I was just going to say, when you finally have that, um, when you finally have that thing in your hand and physical form, you know, it's a, it's really, it's kind of a hard to describe feeling because if you're anything like me, you, you feel like, holy cow, it's, it's still not even done. I wish I would have changed this or that, you know, and, um, it's, you just kind of have to go, well, I mean, it is what it is now. And just like, sometimes I pretend mine doesn't exist anymore because I can't stand thinking about <laughs> some of the stuff that's in there, um, that I wish I would have written better, you know, I get it. Um, and you know, the, the funny thing is, is, uh, um, like another author we know, I, I have a lot of geopolitical stuff in there. And I kept saying to myself, God, you got to get this done or this is not going to be fiction anymore. Um, and even some of the technology stuff, I was like, if you don't, if you don't get this out there, it's going to be nonfiction. Um, <laughs> and so that's one of the things that really pushed me. And then I lot of had, had a lot of help from loved ones, just, you know, just keeping me, keeping me inspired and keeping me consistent, hold my feet to the fire and giving me the latitude to write, you know? But yeah, there's a, sure. there's a ton of stuff. I told myself I'm not going to print this thing until it's pretty good. And I've done, yeah. I printed it three times. Um, oh, no kidding. From the, from the, from the time that I, that I first thought it was pretty good. I printed it out and I was just going to read it on my own after a week or so of letting it sit. And I think I lasted about three days and then I started reading it and I was like, Oh, this is crap. So I mm. went back and reworked a few things and fixed some of the language, printed it again. Uh, and I went through it again and it was better. I printed it the third mm. time and I didn't even read it. I gave it to editors, yeah, editors and beta readers. And I just said, go through it and scour it, and find everything. And then I cleaned it up. My goal That's was awesome. to have it printed by my birthday to have it published by my birthday. And, um, I, uh, I pushed publish on my birthday on the, on the eve, late eve of my birthday. And it was published the next day. So I was pretty happy. That is very cool. Yeah. So I haven't, um, I used to be way into kind of the space stuff, but I haven't really read much on it lately. Uh, in the last few years anyway, but Europa, uh, moon of Jupiter, right? And it's that's thought to have liquid water underneath the surface, right? Yeah, so they're pretty sure that there's a there's a vast briny sea under the ice cap that is the surface. Yeah, and they think that the if I'm please correct me anywhere where I'm wrong. I'm digging back about ten years of reading here, uh, but um, they think that that uh, that sea is there because 
the when the moon orbits around Jupiter, it kind of stretches and flexes and creates enough like friction heat, right, to keep the water melted in there. Yeah. The, the, now the water temperature is still very cold. You know, it's depending on who you ask, it's negative forty degrees Celsius or negative two hundred degrees Celsius. Um, so it's still cold, but um, but because of that elongated orbit that you were talking about and some other things going on um you know the that's where the chaos terrain comes from because you know mm. we have pretty predictable terrain features here on earth um even volcanic i mean you can see that it's volcanic you know you can see um sure valleys and stuff and how they're formed and things like that well as as the term kind of describes on Europa and Mercury and a couple other places, Pluto, I think the the because of all of these different uh, astrological or astrogeological forces that are going on, you'll have a spire in the middle of a valley, or you'll have a crack in the middle of a spire. You know, it's just super uh, chaotic. Um, where here in, on Earth is more maybe chaotic. So. Uh, I didn't even know what the title of the book was going to be until I'd had it written about halfway through. And then I was like, you know, it sounds kind of cool. If you think about it for a minute. So let's go with that. So yeah. there we go. Chaos yeah. It's a great title. <laughs> yeah. So is, is it kind of, um, it's kind of like in the Tom Clancy thriller genre. I mean, type a, thing? a little bit. I would never, never compare myself in any way to Tom Clancy, but, no, sure. but yeah, so there's, there's, um, there's some science involved. I tried to keep the reading fairly light. Um, there's some science involved. There's some, uh, uh, there's some, uh, some geopolitical intrigue, you know, you get to hear a little bit from Russia, you get to hear a little bit from Iran. I don't want to say too much, but, uh, you know, there's sure. some, there's some, uh, definitely antagonist, forces involved there and um yeah so they have to figure out how to how to survive this whole journey but they have to go on the journey first so this this uh this book we are gonna we're gonna take you through you know some of the training that they do and things like that and try to develop those characters for you until they until they're gone and then we're gonna hit you with the big stuff that's cool so if you're talking about China and, or excuse me, Iran and um, Russia, then were you able to draw on some of your former military experience? And uh, a little bit, um, some of the some of the things that you'll see in there are going to harken back to some space history, and you know we uh, we have a few whodunits in uh, in some of our. It's hard for me to talk about it because I don't want to give it any away. But there's some whodunits sure. in there that maybe, maybe my version of the of the story, my fiction, uh, answers. Um, but yeah, I, I was able to to leverage a little bit, um, mostly from a language standpoint and from a, you know, how how you might how you might develop a character who's an Iranian businessman or Iranian intelligence minister or something like that. But um, maybe the next book, I'll uh, I'll leverage some of the the spook stuff a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, they um, 
So when, what was your writing process like for this? Yeah, so I, I tried a few different things. Um, I tried what I call linear writing. I don't know if there's an actual term for it, but where I just sat down and just thought about where I was in the story and tried to write as much as I could. And that didn't work for me at all. Um, especially because I really didn't, I had a beginning, I had an end, and I really didn't know what the middle was going to be like at all when I started writing. So I, I, got a, I got a subscription software, software as a service, um, that allowed me to um, create little modules for my plot and subplot. And then I could identify what each of those modules was as part of the story. And then I could work on those independently of the rest of the story. So that got mm-hmm. me moving a little bit faster because, you know, I could, I could have an idea for how I wanted one of the main characters to enter into the training, as an example. And I could write, I could write that without interruption and not have to worry about where it fell into the story yet. So basically, I was able to write scenes really independent of each other and then arrange the scenes kind of like you would with a three by five card for each scene and arrange the scenes and figure out how the scenes connect and write all of that. And then the last, very last thing I did was put chapters on. I didn't know what, what, what even what was going to be in chapter two versus chapter six until I had all of this arranged. done. But by then all of the writing was done. I just had to connect it. Did you do that in all, as far as the connecting it part, did you do that on the computer or did you print it out? And Yeah, no, I did it all in the computer. And it was the way this software works, it was really as easy as grabbing something here and moving it over here. Um, you know, and that something was a whole block of writing, a whole scene, or it could be two scenes, right. you know. Um, and I did a lot of playing because I wanted to, I didn't, a lot of times, uh, especially with new writers, I think, um, you spend a lot of time at the beginning of the story developing your characters, which is natural. Um, but my, my thing is like, I give a writer like 50 page to get, get their crap together so I can move into the story, right? And so I was mm-hmm. kind of trying to follow my own mantra where I didn't, want, I didn't want the reader to go through more than about 50 or 60 pages before I actually started getting into the, the meat. So, sure. so I spent some time trying to figure out how do I introduce the suspense kind of early. Um, and when you read it, um, the prologue is completely disconnected from the rest of the story. And we'll come back to that. We'll come back to that in the sequel. But... Um, We'll f- you'll find out how that kind of connects later on. Um, but it's uh, it's interesting looking at it kind of like outside in. It's interesting how I chose to do that, you know, to do the flipping of the scenes back and forth. Um, hopefully, uh, I've done it uh, elegantly enough where people won't get lost. And I haven't gotten any reviews yet. I don't even have my own copies of the book yet. Um, oh, man. So that's how that's how newly published it is. I, I'm still waiting for them to send me those. Um, well, yeah. we'll see what happens when the reviews come in. I mean, because 
I've, I've been fortunate to make some pretty good sales on it, but um, you know, our our, our corner of Twitter is always really uh, good at that, and I've done some pretty good stuff on Facebook and Instagram. Um, but it's the reviews. I think that's what's gonna what's gonna decide whether or not I how motivated I am to write the sequel. Yeah, I. It's a it's a hell of an undertaking writing writing a book. Um, this second one I've been working on for a while is even more work than the first one by a lot, and it's I think you know definitely not everybody should do it if they don't want to do it they shouldn't do it. But um, if you have any desire, like kind of jump in with both feet, and you're going to find out like how much work it actually is. It's it's a boatload of work, especially if you have to research topics, um, which is what's going on for me. It sounds like you had to do on, on this one. Um, and no matter how hard you work, you always end up getting something wrong and you just pray that somebody catches it before you put it out. You know, it's, yeah, it's a ton of work, man. Um, so as I can understand being uh, non-committal on the, uh, on the next one, but I'm sure you're going to, I'm sure you'll do enough sales for it to be worthwhile. And sequel, um, I kind of have to because of where we left off on this one, and 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 it was purposely done. I I, uh, I didn't really have a sequel planned when I started writing, but once I got to the end, I was like, kind of have to. Like the the story's not finished. Um, the story's told, but but there definitely can be more. So uh, I've already started working on it. The, the cool thing about the way this story works is I can, um, I can change genres if I really wanted to and continue the story. It's, it's, uh, I'm not quite sure how I'm going to do it yet. We'll see. Um, but I also want to write some Western stuff. So, you know, being here in southern Arizona... You know we've got uh, we've got a lot of history and a lot of culture that we can dig into here, and it's something that I'm really uh, I don't know about enthusiastic, but it's just kind of part of who we are here. You know, like our street names and our kids' names are all pretty rolled into the culture and history of our area, and it's always been something that's kind of intriguing to me. And you know, my my grandfather was a was a pretty known cowboy in this area, and hung out with some pretty famous dudes. Um, and I would just like to, I don't know, maybe for my own reasons or for my own selfish reasons, I kind of want to do something Western that's sort of in this area. That'd be cool. That, I, we, I think some people are trying to write like new Westerns again, but I think it would be really nice to see, some fresh Western stuff come out. I, there's a book called the last buckaroo that a bunch of people have told me to read kind of a new Western, but I, I haven't read it yet, so I can't say anything about it, but it's gotten good reviews. And I, I just like to see that kind of stuff. It's the American West is so it's probably the thing that makes us most unique. Uh, you know, it makes us different than more different than any other country on earth. So, um, it would just be cool to see us embracing that again. My kids have just got into, they like John Wayne movies now, uh, which is a whole nother, you know, thing you start thinking about as a parent, you know, cause they're pretty young and, but, um, 
it's cool. I'd rather have them watching those, you know, Davy Crockett, John Wayne movies than any of the other bullshit that's that's out. But watching those, I mean, they're definitely not like the best written movies ever, but they're still better. They're there's still more of a plot line there than in any freaking Marvel movie I've seen. Yeah. You know. Yeah, My favorite Western movie is actually a John Wayne movie called The Cowboys. Um, yeah. My my favorite one. I mean, it's just uh, it's so far off of what your typical Western movie plot is that that it was uh, it was nice for me, and I I'll go back to it over and over again. You know, I've got probably fifty Louis L'Amour books, maybe more, um, and I've always liked his writing style. I don't know if I'll do something along those lines because it's kind of like uh, I don't know. I I don't want to disparage it, but it's it's fairly cliche novelette mm. sort of sort of writing you know and it, it, it there's definitely a, a template for that um yeah that zane gray louis lamore stuff yeah is, i've got a bunch um, of zane gray too um but yeah so western stuff's always been kind of an interest of mine and and i like to i like to delve into the history of stuff that's why uh, in Chaos Terrain, you'll see some some space history in there as well. Um, I like to delve into the, cool. the history of stuff. And there's just, I mean, like right on top of where my house is built, there's probably, you know, something went on that I just, if I researched sure. it enough, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, some Indian got killed at some point in time where you live, for sure. <laughs> that, that was kind of quite a battleground um, between the Comanches and the Apaches and the Mexicans and Apaches and Comanches and then the Americans and, and then the Cowboys later on. I mean, there's a bunch of, um, yeah, there was a lot happening out there. Yep, it's a neat area. So in chaos terrain, these dudes fly to Europa and where they like start drilling holes. Yeah, so uh, so they first they have to they have to breach that ice cap, you know. Um, there's a there's a place where where we think the the ice uh, there's a fissure in the ice. It's fairly active. Um, what happens is you know the the surface temperature is very very cold, and the and the water that um, you know the the water that they they have tides because of the because of the um, Oh, Jupiter's gravity. Yeah, the gravitational forces that are pulling on it as it's as it's uh, going around Jupiter, and um, so there there are warm patches of water that kind of come up through these fissures or break through these fissures, and that's what creates some of this terrain. So, yeah, they got to find some some place where it's not going to take them a year to to drill. Now you got to think about all of this because they're gonna they're gonna be in in space for a long time, you know, and then they're going to be on the surface for a while doing their discovery. And then they got to get back. It's a pretty far trip. So we had to, we had to go into yeah. some theories uh, of how they would do that and survive it and kind of um, flesh it out a little bit. So definitely a lot of, uh, of fiction, but as close to the science as we could possibly make it. As far as dr- awesome. as far as drilling, yeah, they had to they had to drill and they had to find some way to do that efficiently and and pretty quickly. So uh, we went into uh, CO two drilling for that, and uh, <clears throat> uh, the 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 ship that they're taking is a behemoth. It's just huge. 
um, especially for the size of the crew. But, you know, um, we're going to get into all kinds of technologies as far as sustainment and all of that sort of stuff. And uh, I'd rather people read it and have it make sense than you try to dis- describe it here. Sure. But, uh, but I mean, we, we went into some pretty cool technologies that we're right on the cusp of being able to do anyways. And I just extended it into what if it's real? Yeah. And it may well be real, um, in the not too distant future for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think speaking of those fissures and water come through, I, I swear, I remember reading that there's actually, they think the occasional geyser on, Europa, right? Yeah, they, it's like kind they of talk cold about water plumes, plumes of, of mist or something that are like, I don't know, 200 miles high or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's a really crazy environment. Um, and it's, it's, to me, it's pretty intriguing and scary to try to even explore that. I mean, let's th- not even think the distance. Like Mars is nothing compared to distance, right? It's pretty dang far away. Sure. Um, but the, the surface is inhospitable. The radiation exposure there is extreme. So you've got to have, you know, protection for that. You can't really be out and about even in a suit, you know? Mm-hmm. So we have to figure out how, how these folks explore, um, do any surface exploration at all, any astrogeology, any of that sort of stuff. And then how do they get to the ocean? And then once they're in the ocean, what are they looking for? Like, what, what do we, what do we create from devices and software that even works in an environment like that? So like, let's say we found something, how would we, through the devices and software that we have available to us on earth, how would we even identify what it is? Like, what's that signature look like to us and is it anything even similar to that reality if they were to find something so it was just a so much research i mean it was months of research um just to try to get as close to what science looks like today versus what it might look like you know 20 years from now we're not in the too distant future um uh and and then how to how to skirt the technology and such that I wasn't uh, wasn't naming names as far as what companies were involved <laughs> and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, did you call it like Solar X yeah, or something? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It would be quite an undertaking for sure because I know one of the one of the things that is a factor on like getting to Mars, right? I know you're not going to Mars in this book, but um, is actually getting um, orbits lined up enough to shorten the distance, right? Because right? uh, they're, they're only, there's a certain, I forget exactly what the closest point is, you know, in the, or, or the, I forget exactly how close it is when our orbits are lined up at that one time right. every four I years think it's or still whatever like it is. 15 50 million miles or 53 million miles. <laughs> Some crazy, crazy shit like that. Yeah. Um, 
so I, I know with that, with that Mars one, part of the thing is like, you get to go there and you're done because we don't know how to get you back, right. you know, and we, you'd have to wait four years to make it back anyway. Yeah. So I guess you might as well just live there forever. So we're going, um, we're going <laughs> 10 times the distance in a year. That's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. So, I mean, it's, there's, there was some technologies that we had to kind of, uh, I guess pull out of our butt to, to make that sure. work, you know. Um, but still, not even approach. I mean, not even approaching what's we're looking at potentials in spaceflight right now. And we just recently had a, a breakthrough in, in fusion. Um, we're looking at potentials right now that are amazing. I mean, yeah. What we think about spaceflight ten even ten years from now is going to be monumentally different than than what we're thinking today. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and Elon Musk's whole idea of building a station on the moon in order to like have a place to um, like store propulsion technologies and things like that, so that you can escape orbit and then go ahead and hook up to a new propulsion system. Uh, to me, that makes the most sense because obviously, like something, uh, even on like the uh, the Voyager uh, probes, mm -hmm. this Voyager one and Voyager two, something like ninety percent of their propulsion, uh, you know, stored energy in fuel, you know, was burned up just getting outside of the atmosphere, right. and then you know they, they were able to go. With with what was left, they were able to. Well, I think Voyager One is completely ex. Well, I know one of them has completely exited the solar system now and is out in deep space, which is pretty neat. Um, and I think didn't they? I th didn't Voyager Two fly by Europa well, Vo and take some Voyager images? One and Two? Uh, okay, went by uh, Voyager Two. Got some really good photos. Um, then we have a project called Europa Clipper that is still turning away i think they were they were trying to they were trying to launch last year didn't happen um maybe maybe by 24 uh they'll go and that's gonna that's gonna get us some uh so i think that's gonna get us some really good data um i think they're, yeah, gonna, they're cool. gonna put that thing in orbit of europa um uh and and i think a closer orbit than they've been able to do with uh voyager 2 Cool. Um, yes, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's it's it was very. I mean, I like learning new things. So every everything that I cracked open a little clue to another thing was just just gave me more um, impetus to write. And I think um, that was part of the fun of it was I would find something that was like, oh wow, we're already working on this. I will make it so that it's done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's fun, man. And some and uh, since you're the author, you get to make it so that the spaceship doesn't like Shoemaker Levy Nine into Jupiter on right, the way in, right. which is <laughs> like, like a real possibility for uh, you know the IRL ship or whatever. Um, now that's fun, man. I I used to talk a lot of uh, crap about science fiction and. Like so much of it was bad for so long. Yeah. Uh, my, I mean, some of it's good, but the new Dune came out, and I watched it finally, like three years after it came out. 
um after of course like years of berating my friends and making fun of them for being nerds for liking the movie and everything uh and it it was really good i was surprised at how good it was i liked it i'm I'm by no means like some professional sci-fi critic so maybe to those people it sucks or something but for me the you know the average viewer i thought it was great um and it was cool to have that because as a kid i loved sci-fi you know and now to have something to be excited about again in space is really neat you know um the whole last frontier thing is real like it really is the last frontier i i feel i I feel like a a fraud a little bit um because you know i was i was into sci-fi as a kid i read the dune books i read you know uh anything asimov anything i could get my hands on and then i just kind of left it and I read a ton of historical fiction and a ton of nonfiction history, mostly conflict history. And really kind of lost my, lost my way as far as knowledge goes for sure on, on sci-fi. And so when I, when I decided I was going to finally write this thing, I was like, like it's not even your genre, man. Like why why are you doing it? <laughs> and um I don't know. I just uh, I, I enjoyed it more and, and my ability to retain all of the the things that I researched and wrote down and it's pretty terrible these days, but uh but maybe that's what I liked about it is because every time I touched the book again it was all new, you know. <laughs> so you're like sundowning throughout the process of writing this thing (laughs) yeah no it's cool i the historical fiction stuff i i'm i've just never quite been able to get into i did like david mcculloch's uh 1776 book um my grandfather loves historical fiction and he's always you know asking me about this book or that book whenever we talk and I just, for whatever reason, uh, I just don't really get into those that much, but, um, the big sky or yeah, I think it's called the big sky, that trapper novel. Um, I, I think it. it was written in like the sixties. Yeah. It's actually pretty good, but it's like a historical fiction type thing. So there's, there's a handful that I'll read and like over the years, but I never just, I don't know. I always felt like, why don't I just read the actual history, you know? Yeah. Uh, like, so but with sci-fi is cool. That I think part of the reason it sucked so much through the eighties and nineties, or at least it seemed like it sucked to me is they couldn't even actually imagine the tech that we would have, you know, now like in some ways they way overstated what technologies we would have. And then in other ways, they just completely had no clue. Like computers are the best example of this. No one, in the seventies had any idea that computers would be as powerful as they are now. I mean, they had some notion that they were going to be extremely important, you know, and that processors would get better and this kind of thing, but they never thought that you would have a cell phone that can do what it can. Well, even, even in the nineties, I mean, I remember a vice president at AOL saying to an entire auditorium holding up his phone, nobody is ever going to use this the way they use a computer. Nobody's going to ever use wow. this as a primary uh, communication platform. It's crazy. Isn't it? It's it's crazy because 
I'm pretty tech illiterate. So, you know, take everything I say on this subject with a grain of salt. But um, even for me, I'm getting to where I do almost everything on my phone. I, I like basically my computer, I will answer emails and, and I know that like everyone else does this on their phone, but like for me, I'll like answer emails and transfer whatever I've handwritten out into like Microsoft Word. And outside of that, or, or I'll turn on YouTube, you know, I'm like outside of that, I'm not using my computer for anything anymore. And it's really easy to see yourself like five years down the road, not even having a laptop. I mean, it's almost pointless. You look at the way uh, video editing technology is getting so much better on your phone. Like mm. my GoPro has that whatever app that connects to the GoPro and you can just rapid edit right there and you're on your phone or use like iMovie on your phone. I mean, I, I mean, really 10 years from now, we're probably going to be doing everything on these little phones. Yeah, you're probably right. Uh, it's interesting to me though, because I'm, I'm, I'm almost the opposite. I mean, I use my phone quite a bit. I'm pretty literate with it. And, you know, it's not like I'm a boomer when it comes to using it. But, you know, I'm I'm dealing with these nowadays. <laughs> and so yeah. there's it, I, and and, you know, I worked for AOL um, for a number of years. And so, I mean, I helped put a generation of people online and you get really efficient with a keyboard. Um Mm. You know, and so there, I'm just faster. I'm just more efficient. And uh, but you know, uh, people your age and uh, or my even younger, my son's age, you know, grew up probably leaning more towards the small screen technology than the big than the big screen technology. So so it's more. I don't want comfortable is not really the word I'm looking for. It's more culturally adapted to you than maybe to someone my age or older. Yeah, I could see that. Cause I'm old I mean, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He pulled out his bifocals <laughs> while we were talking. Old dude. <laughs> so old, he forgets that like radio can't see the, <laughs> the well, it's a good the, thing though, because I've got a face for radio. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's makes two of us for sure. <laughs> you you know, I mean, maybe what can happen again, I am a retard, so take all of this with a grain of salt, but you know, you could see where there's some projector capability in a phone or something and you just like, you know, use your case and lean it up against the wall and it's like playing your, your TV or whatever, well, right I off the white wall. Sure. And you got like a little Bluetooth keyboard you can whip out and type and I had all of um, that stuff. I mean, uh, you know, working where I did, we, we got all of the cool new technologies when they came out. So we got the Palm Pilots with the docks and, the, um, you know, uh, we were testing our software on pretty much every device that came out um, when we weren't sending disks to everybody and putting them on your airplane and your Omaha stakes and whatnot. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it was cool coming up with all of that stuff. And, e and even today, you know, it was really nice to be able to take out your phone and a, like you're saying, like a little miniature Bluetooth keyboard and go at it. But I don't know. I'm just getting lazy, I guess. <laughs> well, I no, I get it. It's, uh, you mentioned Palm Pilot. My, my old man had one of those Palm Pilots with like QuickBooks on it and stuff. Yeah. And 
it was it was always funny to me. He'd clip it to his belt, you know, he'd be out <laughs> riding horses or whatever. He's got this freaking palm pilot. And then whenever he goes to write a check to somebody, he breaks out. You remember those big tin uh like rectangular shaped checkbook holder things that have like the little uh clipboard on the top, you know? So he's always dicking with QuickBooks on this little device and then he whips out this like 1920s freaking yeah (laughs) and writing those giant business checks you know um it's funny what which technologies persist and which ones don't i mean i guess i still use big business checks too but uh yeah it now i mean my i have a pretty new i mean it's not brand new or anything but a pretty new macbook that we're talking on right now And I'm not even sure what the storage on that is, but my newest phone is like one terabyte or something. Oh yeah, so 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 I'm I'm cheap. I I don't spend money much on stuff, so I have probably smart. about a three year old phone. You know that that uh, it was new. It was new, but it you know is three year old technology, and I'll I'll probably keep it until you know people start telling me, yeah, you know why that doesn't work anymore, Grandpa, is because. <laughs> it doesn't support it anymore um yeah uh but i don't know i um it's interesting that to me it's just because i'm cheap it's not because i don't want to embrace the newest technology i just can't afford to um yeah so maybe if i sell you know a few more thousand copies of books i can go get a nice phone <laughs> there you go <laughs> there you go that on on the book thing, the, this is kind of a great debate. I was talking to Julio on the phone the other day, and um, he was connecting me with a guy that might be able to help with my next book. And we were talking about uh, going the traditional route, you know, through a bigger house as opposed to like self publishing. And obviously, I self published my first book. Um, I tried to go through a big house first, and it was just going nowhere. Um, yeah, without. I had a good editor that was willing to help, but it, you know, he's talking about like a three year process and stuff. I'm like, I'm not yeah, dealing with no. this for three years. I just want to be done. So I, I got reached out to by some smaller and mid tier houses. And then when we had conversations, it was like, well, you guys are not offering me anything that I can't do myself. Right. Besides you'll put it on like a back shelf in Barnes and Noble, which is going to do nothing <laughs> for me, you know? So, but with this, um, with this next one, I've been really debating maybe going, you know, with an agent and stuff, maybe going the traditional route. And I still, I still wonder how much, you know, cause it used to be really the only real reason to go through a big house. I mean, you could talk about all the, you know, they can get you into stores and give you like a little bit of a push or whatever, but that's, that's not true. They hardly give a market. Like if you're an author, like you or I, they are not going to give you a marketing budget. So you can just forget about that. Um, so really it was just validation. Like that was the only thing you could could have a Scribner logo on it or a penguin logo or just whichever, um, random house or something, something like this. But nowadays people don't care anymore. You know, yeah. like it used to be, you'd open and be like, who published this, you know, or you'd look, you know, and find it was penguin or something like this. Um, and now people don't care at all. They don't even know. Yeah, I mean, it's just and, a book. and publishing houses, I mean, it was kind of like a team sometimes to some readers. So, you know, I'm, I'm only reading penguin stuff, you know, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I really don't. I mean, it's so early in my, I've only been an author for like four days. So. 
So it's so it's so early in my in my tenure here. You know, I just I just I just tell my family I was like, if I sell a hundred copies, like that'll be that'll be great, and I'm pretty close to that now. And so I don't know Good. what the next step is. Like, what what do you do? What do you do now? I'm just gonna write. I'm just gonna write the next yeah. piece of the story, and and um. Uh, I've, I, so, um, oh, shameless plug time. So if you go to joelgames.com, uh, I've got some stuff there. I'm, I'm actually, uh, building out some apparel that goes along with the story and the, and the ship and all of that. And maybe that'll be fun. I don't know. Um, yeah. and, uh, I'll do, uh, I'll do sign hardcovers there once I get those in. I, I don't have the hardcover completed yet. It's really close. Um, it's more of a time thing than an effort thing at this point. And um, uh, I, I'm thinking about, you know, well, you know, what if I put some of my friends' books on there too, you know? And, um, mm-hmm. well, you know, a high tide raises all boats kind of thing. So, sure. I don't sure. know. I'm playing with ideas. I mean, we know some cool people. So, you know, maybe. Yeah. Uh, Maybe I can get the thing screen written at some point. Maybe I can find somebody who'd be willing to, I don't know, put it on freaking sci-fi or something. I, I don't know. You know, I, I play with yeah, all these, cool. these little, uh, I don't even know if they're dreams. They're just kind of like, you know, what if? But then I mm-hmm. think about, well, you know, my book in 1996 was a one-sentence what if. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, what if? Yeah, sure. Yeah, there's no reason not to give it a shot. What um you know what you do got to do though is you got to buy chaosterrainbook.com before someone snags yeah, that up. Yeah, that'd be a good one. Yeah. You're right. Um easy to plug I'll that probably, way. I'll probably buy that tonight. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> before before this comes out and somebody steals it and tries to sell it to you. Yeah. <laughs> Take all your uh, royalties right there. That's right. Um, yeah, man, the whole what if thing, uh, that's, I mean that there's no, I mean, we're both, you know, older guys at this point and established in our lives and stuff. Like, it's not like you're putting your family at risk to chase some dream. So why not, man? Yeah. Just go for I mean, it, you know, you know, it's, it's just like I said in the, in the, in the forward of the book is, you know, whether it's because they don't mind it or not, but they allow me to lock myself in my office in the evenings and write like a madman, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. maybe it's okay. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's easier on them that I'm locked away, <laughs> but um, they're getting a break. They're, maybe right? they're getting a break. Yeah. Um, no, it's, you know, I, I do all right with all, I have so many other irons in the fire, you know, um, uh, yeah. Pretty much like you are. I'm I'm the one of the busiest people I know, and um, yeah. people keep wondering, you know, how do you make time for all of this? And somebody told me, and it's probably somebody, somebody, fa- something, somebody famous said, and I just don't know it, you know. But you get 168 hours in a week, you know, and you're going to sleep about what 40 of those, you know, 60 of those, something like mm-hmm. that, and and the rest is what you're going to do with the rest of it is kind of up to you. And, yeah. you know, there are the things that you have to do because we want to make sure that our families, you know, 
live pretty decent. And then uh, there are the things that you like to do. And then there's the things that you want to do. And I'm trying to make it so that the things that I want to do are also things that help make my family comfortable. Yeah. And that might sound, I don't know, that sound superficial or something like that. No. But I I wrote the story because I couldn't shake it, you know, from 1996. Just couldn't shake it. And I was like, I got to get it out of my brain. You know, because my brain is like mm-hmm. all of these little light bulbs turned on in there. And until I get action on something, that light bulb is on, you know. And sometimes those light bulbs keep you awake at night. And uh, so I try to spend my days knocking stuff out. And I guess I guess it's like a dopamine hit, you know, accomplish this, get the little dopamine hit. But it's accomplish this and it turns off that light bulb. And this was just a big, it just got a brighter and brighter and brighter in my brain and I just couldn't turn it off. And I was like, if I don't write this book, I'm going to go crazy. <laughs> Did you have any postpartum on that? I know a lot of authors will talk about going through a weird postpartum depression after they're done. Maybe it's, it's still very new to me. I'm still very excited that, you know, people are ordering the book and posting pictures of them, you know, having ordered it and, you know, saying, oh, I'm halfway through and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm still very much in the in the honeymoon phase with the book. But I I did feel like, a, oh, dang, now what, I'm, what am I going to do? And I wonder if that might be what's driving the sequel, you know, mm-hmm. and how long that lasts as an energy for that. So if, if the first book does well, if Chaos Terrain does well, then it'll probably give me a little bit of a boost, you know, to, to continue. I mean, this was a two-year project. It wasn't easy, and I had a lot of stuff in between there, you know? Yeah. And Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that um, – the whole, the whole notion of doing things that you enjoy doing but also help, you know, make a little bit of money for your family and make their – improve their lives. There's – we – I don't know if it's the generations or if I'm just surrounded by this many libertarians online or what, but they're, they, they act as if anything that makes money is somehow a grift. Yeah. You know, it's it's like, no dude, it's was a bunch of work. And so now if you want to read it, you get to pay me for it. Like, like I got to get paid, man. That that's not the same thing as grifting. Like you didn't write some, you know, you're not a closeted Marxist who wrote some bullshit treaties on MAGA politics or something, which would be a grift, right? Um, but yeah, it, it is a bit frustrating the way people, uh, I just, I don't know, they act like whatever, as, as long as it's IP, then it should be free to them. Intellectual property, I know you know, but, but um, then it ought to be free. And I don't know if it's the Napster generation or just the like I say, just the Lulberts that I'm constantly surrounded with. It's like a poison on my Twitter feed. <laughs> I mean, I, I like, don't get me wrong. I like some libertarians, but holy shit, the Lulberts, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. I had, I had somebody comment, wow, that's a pretty, pretty high price per page you got there. And I was thinking, you're right. And that's all I said was, you're right. Um, you know, I put a lot of myself into this. And it's not sure. like I'm gracing 
you know, the world with my work or something like that. Uh, I don't, I don't really look at it that way. I'm honored that, that, you know, people bought it and that, that people are um, reading it and hopefully give me some really awesome reviews or maybe not so awesome reviews. I don't really, I don't really know how, how to navigate that yet, but um, I know I'm going to get some good reviews and I know I'm going to get some terrible reviews and that's just the way it goes. And I'm prepared for that, but my gosh, I, you know, if, if you go to a movie, you, you pay for the movie, right? Um, yeah, yeah. It's kind of the same thing. I'm trying to entertain you. Um, I hope to entertain you. If I don't, you can, you can tell me in your review that you didn't appreciate. Cool thing about Amazon, they got a 30-day return. So if you really didn't like it, you can just send it back. Yeah, and you know what? I'm looking at your Amazon page right now. That is not a high price per page. Those people can shut up, <laughs> dude. You, you, you're listed at uh, fifteen or fourteen ninety nine on a two hundred thirty seven page book. So like a standard two hundred thirty two, two hundred thirty four page book, roughly, right? Yeah. Um, that is not a high price per page. What are they talking about? <laughs> no, I, I, I don't. I thought I priced it fairly um yeah uh i i i would would like to be able to you know go buy a couple of cases of bubble water you know something you don't don't get paid a ton um from amazon you know that uh that's kind of the downside is the is the royalties are not as nice as they might be but the the upside is uh they really have a good platform for you to get exposure if you know you know how to how to make that work for you and um, that's kind of also part of being a self-published author is you're you're doing a lot of the editor work, you're doing a lot of the agent work, and you're doing all the marketing. So, you know, it, it's it's a fair trade for me. And somebody doesn't like it, well, they can return it, get the money back. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you, man. But it's a silly and also uh i just looked up my amazon page to just see um and mine's higher than yours so <laughs> i guess maybe i'm maybe i'm biased but um yeah forget it they you know who cares what they think i mean obviously you want support and everything i'm not trying to like yeah. bash but no. the people that are bitching about shit like that we're not going to buy it anyway. they weren't going to support me anyways and 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 you know i on that, I definitely want to um, to let everyone who's supporting you know my work to really understand how important that is to me and how much, how grateful I am for that. Um, you know, we have a really great community, um, and I never take it for granted. You know, every day I try to be a bright spot um, for people, and you know, to see that to see that given to me freely. Um, is really impactful, has, has really um, made me feel like I'm in the right place. It's awesome. They, that, that little corner of Twitter, especially like the, well, just the, the part that I, I guess both of us sort of came up through in Twitter, the, uh, whatever they're calling themselves this week. <laughs> this week. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're, just great people. They really are. Um, every time anyone's ever needed any sort of support or help, they they're very, uh, 
they're just very good people. Um, very generous and kind, uh, and willing to willing to support people, which is cool. Yeah. Very cool. And, and, and we'll jump to your aid, you know, in a moment's notice, we've seen some really great, um, examples of that. And, um, I tried to, one of the, one of the main characters of the book, I tried to kind of encompass some of those things where it was a little bit of a goofball and, but just a, just a kind person and just a person that's, I don't know about in tune with himself, but definitely self-aware, humble, um, a little bit, uh, um, a little bit of trepidation about whether he's good enough and things like that. And, um, I think, I think there's a lot of that in our corner where, you know, we beat ourselves up a little bit. We always have those people around us that say, no, you're awesome. You're doing great. And, um, you know, with, with people like that around you, you can't but succeed. Yeah. Then we've got, there's a lot of great people. (laughs) Yeah. Every, every once in a while (laughs) you get, you get too enraged and fly off the handle on somebody. But outside of that, I generally like pretty much everybody. (laughs) Um, yeah, they they really are good people. I don't want to sit here and, you know, massage them too much uh, because they're also animals, but big headed dudes, their heads, they won't be able to fit through the door. Keep going. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) for sure. Well, hey, man, we are up against the hour. Uh, What else do you want to say about this book besides tell people to go buy it? Well, I I think you covered it right there. Go buy the Chaos Terrain. Um, It's really easy to find if you search Joel Gaines. Uh, If you can't find it there on Amazon because, you know, maybe I'm not big enough yet, uh, you can go to joelgaines.com and maybe in a little bit uh, chaosterrainbook.com and – and uh, you'll be able to get a link to it uh, from there. Awesome. And you can find it just by searching Joel Gaines because I had forgotten your title before you came on and I, I Amazoned it. So you can just Joel Gaines it. Um, but Chaos Terrain, check it out. I'm definitely going to order it. I've got a stack. You know, I, I don't want to lie to you. I've, I've got a stack of books to get through for my new book, but that will be in my queue um, and I will get to it eventually. Well, I, I really appreciate you having me on. This is a great, uh, it's a great opportunity, great honor for me. So uh, I just wanted to thank you as well. Well, thank you for all of your support with the bunkhouse stuff and just being cool in general. Um, yeah, you're a good dude, man. I've always liked you. I, so I any it. little thing I can do to help, I, I want to. So I really appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks brother. Chaos terrain, go buy it. And, uh, Check out their stuff too.